Numbers chapter 13. Sometimes, sometimes you look at books of the Bible and you think they're not that imaginatively named. Sure they're not. What do we call it? There's lots of numbers in it. <clears throat> numbers chapter 13. We're finishing off just a little short mini-series uh, called The People Who Know Their God. And this is the sort of verse from Daniel that is behind it all. It is a call, I guess, a call to action and a call for God's people to once again rise up, move forward, take ground. If there are things that have been left sitting for 18 months because we've been sitting around for 18 months, if we're uh, allowed and permitted to, to carefully restart those things, put new energy into those things, start dreaming about those things again, then, then this is a, a call to do that. So we have looked at uh, Jonathan in the first week and his armor bearer who helped him out and we looked at Abigail last week. Uh, this week we're going to look at a guy called Caleb and last week when we, when we were doing Abigail we looked at her name and her name was beautiful and her name means my father is joy. My father is joy and Jonathan's name means, uh, what does it mean now? My father, my father gives, is that it? My father is gracious. My father gives something along those lines because there was a line in the, in the story about how God would give the Philistines into his hands. Tragic when you can't remember your own sermon two weeks later. Like, There's not much hope for the rest of it. Uh, J- Jonathan means my father ha- has given and my father is gracious. So uh, Caleb, another deep, meaningful name in Hebrew, dog. <laughs> That's what his name means when you look it up. So in honor of Caleb, There's some dogs for you to bless you. Numbers chapter 13. What has happened before this is that Israel has left Egypt. Moses met God on Mount Sinai. They've built the tabernacle. They've moved away from Sinai. And we're quite early on in in the, the wilderness period. They've moved from Goshen to Sinai to the promised land. They've probably covered about 90% of the distance from Egypt to the promised land. They have, they have covered a lot of the, of the journey at this point. They've done so much hard work. The entire journey, if you were doing uh, on foot from Egypt into the promised land, it's about 11 days walking. If you were to walk basically all day, every day, and then sleep at night, obviously, it's going to take them a lot longer than that. And at this point, they're probably about one day from the promise. They've done the donkey work, they've done the hard work, and they're about one day away from the promise. And then we have this familiar story. The Lord said to Moses, send some men to explore the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the Israelites. Now that's important. I am giving. It was called the promised land because God promised to give it to them. They've got this clear word from the Lord. I'm giving you this thing. They're not just making it up. They're not just sort of looking themselves to find a good place to, to, you know, set up home or whatever. God has spoken. God has promised this thing. I'm giving you. So straight from the from the outset, is there a thing that God told you He would give you? And maybe a long time has passed. You, when you, those of you that are familiar with this story will know that 40 years were passed until those who believed God actually got to see the promised land. And sometimes time and challenges can cause the, the word, the clear word from God to start to fade a wee bit in our memories. 
God says, I'm giving you this land. So at the Lord's command, Moses sent them out from the desert of Paran. All of them were leaders, men of integrity, men who had proved themselves over the journey so far. Not just you know, random people, but actual each tribe, one man was picked who was already an established leader. From the, there's a whole list of names there if you're looking at the chapter, but from the tribe of Judah, we have Caleb, son of Jephunneh. So he was the guy that called his son Dog. And from the tribe of Ephraim, Hoshea, son of Nun, whose name Moses changed to Joshua. See what the land is like. This is what they're told to do. I want you to go see what it's like and whether the people who live there are strong or weak, few or many. What kind of land do they live in? Is it good or bad? What kind of towns do they live in? Are they unwalled or fortified? How is the soil? Is it fertile or poor? Are there trees in it or not? Do your best to bring back some fruit of the land. So it is reasonable, logical stuff. Go into the land that God has called us to. Have a look at it. Come back. Tell us what it's like. We want to prepare. We want to know how to move in there. So we're sending out a little scouting group of 12 guys to to figure it out. And when they go, in verse 22, they went up through the Negev and came to Hebron. Just hold Hebron in your mind. We'll come back to it. They went and came to Hebron, where those people and the descendants of Anak lived. And when they reached the valley of Eshcol, they cut off a branch bearing a single cluster of grapes. Two of them carried it on a pole between them, along with some pomegranates and figs. That's a big bunch of grapes. One single bunch, they tied it to a pole, and one guy at the front had the pole on his shoulder, and another guy at the back had the other end of the pole on his shoulder. A big bunch of grapes. Eshkol Valley literally means Cluster Valley. The valley was named after this big bunch of grapes. And there is the same thing. No, it's not. That. At the end of 40 days, they returned from exploring the land. And when they came back from exploring the land, they brought a report. We went into the land which he sent us to, and it does flow with milk and honey. Here is its fruit, but (laughs) their brief positive report of what they've seen is now going to change. And what they say is the people who live there are powerful. The cities are fortified and very large. We even saw descendants of Anak there. Now, in case you're wondering, Anak is tall, all right? He's a giant. These descendants of Anak are the the giants, the Anakites. So they see, they they start to focus in on all of the reasons why they cannot do what God has called them to do. The Amalekites live there. The Hittites, the Jebusites, and the Amorites are in the hill country, and the Canaanites. All the ites have shown up in the land, and they're all going to be there to hinder the people from entering the land. It's full of ites. All of the reasons why they can't do it. And when you read their report, there is not one mention of a rather important person, God. Nowhere in their thinking. As they report back of what they've seen, God is not in their thinking. He is not in their language at all. But there's an upstart in the group. Don't you love an upstart? A whippersnapper. A pain in the backside. Someone who just won't conform with the majority opinion. Ten of the spies have started to focus in on the reasons they can't do it, but we've got Caleb there. Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, we should go up 
and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. I can picture this. Twelve spies. Joshua's a wee bit quiet, but he's with Caleb. I think Caleb here is sort of taking the lead, and he's influencing Joshua a lot for Joshua's future, but Caleb's taking the lead. So we've got the ten guys, and we've got Caleb, and we've got Joshua. The ten guys are given the negative report to Moses, and Caleb is fidgeting in the background twitching a wee bit, you know, just bouncing around on his toes, getting away, just looking for that moment where he can jump into the conversation once the rest of these guys stay quiet. And then he can take it no more and he just says, stop, we can certainly do it. He's going to go against the flow and go against the majority opinion. He's tired of the negativity. See, when you're in a negative atmosphere and you're constantly just hearing why we can't do this and we can't do that, uh, their mindset of, you know what, it would be amazing, but maybe for somebody else, maybe for a later generation, but not for us. He's fed up with the, the mindset that says, let's just stay here and play it safe and not actually step out in faith. I wonder, is, is there something that God has called you to? And there's, a, there's maybe 10 voices or maybe it's just your own voice in your own head starting to say, you can't do that. It would be nice, but you can't actually do it. Maybe it's, maybe it's a church ministry and you feel, you know, God put it on your heart. Maybe put it in your heart 18 months or two years ago, but time has passed and it's faded and you're like, well, maybe somebody else can do it. I don't want to do it. Maybe it's not even a ministry. Maybe it's a business idea, but it's a business based on kingdom principles that wants to bless people and provide employment and, and allow people to develop their skills or whatever. Uh, but, but it's starting to fade. You're starting to hear the 10 voices that say it's a good idea, but it can't be done rather than the voice of faith. And I want to just compare this morning what the godless thinking of the 10 leads to and compare their godless way of viewing things with the way Caleb viewed things through a lens of faith. So these guys were looking through fear at the obstacles, whereas Caleb was looking with the eyes of faith. And we read the first thing that happens whenever they are looking through the eyes of fear is that the enemy is magnified. So they've brought a report. The, re the report they brought to Moses was a legitimate report of what they saw. If you go back and look at it, um, the people are powerful. That's true. The cities are fortified and large. That's true. We even saw the descendants of Anak. That's true. They didn't tell any lies at that stage. All they did was come back and say, here's the stuff that we see and all the ites. And then whenever they're starting to look at things through the eyes of fear, not having God in their thinking, very different from Caleb, all of a sudden the enemy threat gets magnified. And at the end of chapter 13, they said, the land we explored devours all those who are living in it. That wasn't part of the initial report, but fear is in their thinking. God is not in their thinking and they're starting to use artistic license and make things look worse than they are. And suddenly the genuine obstacles that are there are increasing and expanding and getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And the enemy is being magnified. You know, we're meant to magnify God and make much of God. But this, start of, this sort of thinking causes the enemy to get bigger in our sights. The land we explored devours those living in it. I don't know what that looked like in the imagination of the people of Israel who were hearing this. 
But remember, they have seen the Red Sea split and they have seen 10 plagues. So if somebody comes back and tells them that the land is devouring people, they may well actually believe the ground is opening up and swallowing people because they've seen some crazy stuff. All the people we saw there are of great size, (laughs) massive. We saw the Nephilim there. The descendants of Anak come from the Nephilim. Again, these are the giants. If you go back into Genesis, you'll read about these, these people around about Genesis 6. And not only are they magnifying the enemy threat, but now the, the outcome of that is we're now looking really small. We seem like grasshoppers in our own eyes. And we look the same to them. Forge was on in here yesterday. First time that we've met in person for Forge in... 18 months in Northern Ireland. Uh, for If you don't know what Forge is, it's a church planting sort of pioneering training year that, that I did in Scotland and that we run in a few different places now in Ireland. Uh, and we were here and it was the first time we'd all actually seen each other after you know a year of looking at each other on Zoom. And there was that moment where people, when I went up to do my talk and I could see people looking at me and I just thought, I know what you're thinking. He's smaller (laughs) in real life than he maybe appears on Zoom. We looked like grasshoppers is what they said. We compared ourselves to the enemy. One of the things I always say to Samuel on a Saturday morning before his football match is stop looking at the other team and sizing them up. That they look really big. No, don't do that. <laughs> it's hard not to do that. For those of you that ever played football or rugby, anything, you do tend to look across, as the coach is talking to you, you're sort of looking across at the other end of the pitch to see you know, what, who's, who's lining up to, to be against you in your position. But they're comparing themselves and they're starting to see themselves as being really small. Whenever we think through the eyes of fear, the enemy gets magnified. No matter what you do in the kingdom of God, there'll always be opposition. But if you think about it without God, it'll look bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And I want you to hold before yourself the things that you feel God has called you to. Whether that's recent or whether it's something that's been bubbling away for years. Whether that's something that is would be regarded as traditional <coughs> church ministry. Or whether it's just some big idea that you know God has put in your heart and you can use for his glory. Or maybe a small idea that God has put in your heart and you can use for his glory. Look at it through the eyes of fear and all the opposition gets bigger. Another thing that happens when we look through the eyes of fear is that wings get clipped. In chapter 14 and verse 10, after Caleb has again made a plea that we can do this, and we'll get to that plea a wee bit later, they say we want to stone them. So not only have we become fearful and have, not only have we started to look at these things through the eyes of fear instead of thinking about what God says, but we're going to clip the wings of those who do want to do it. And I don't think I've ever put it quite like this before, but let's make sure table is a place where no wing clipping goes on. That if somebody wants to fly... And if somebody wants to to do something, that we all have the armor bearer mindset, that when Jonathan comes and says, here, I'd like to give this a shot, that everybody with one voice is saying, go ahead, (laughs) go ahead. We're not going to clip your wings and we're not going to hold you back. We're not going to point out all the reasons why you can't do something. We'll support you in it. Give it a shot. If it goes wrong, we'll help clean it up afterwards. But give it a shot. No wing clipping, please. They talk about stoning them. 
I can imagine Caleb the whole way back from that trip as he's starting to pick up the fact that these 10 guys are a bit negative about things and that they're going to bring back a report that is going to sort of shut the whole operation down. I can imagine him just bouncing around, irritating everybody over and over again. Guys, we can do this. Shut up, Caleb. Leave us alone. Guys, no, we can do this. These people, we can conquer them. They're not that big. God's with us. Shut up, Caleb. Leave us alone. Guys, we can do it. Shut up. And just over and over again, trying to clip the wings trying to silence him and suppress him. Instead of celebrating the the blazing heart that he has, they're trying to put out the fire because it's probably embarrassing them and intimidating them to be around a person like this. And the call of God is compromised whenever we look through the eyes of fear. They said to each other, let's choose a leader and go back to Egypt. It's a horrendous thing to say. (laughs) After God has raised up Moses and brought them out of Egypt, they're now saying, let's go back. The call is being compromised. God has called us to a promised land. But let's compromise on that. Let's actually turn back. There's no sort of, I think in the kingdom of God, you're either going forwards or you're going backwards. There's not really a sitting still. If you think you're sitting still, I would say you're actually probably going backwards. There is either progress and there is advance or there is retreat. There's no in-between. And the thing that happens when you lose your God-given vision of the future is that you then go back to the past. It's like what Peter did in John 21. Upset about what had happened, Peter says, I'm going fishing. I'm going back to what I know and what I'm comfortable with. And Jesus had to meet him on the beach and restore him. They had no vision. They wanted to go back to the captivity that God was trying to deliver them from. And then you read this, this bleak verse where God... He has threatened to destroy them and Moses has prayed and interceded for them and God has said, okay, I won't destroy them, but they're not going to see the promised land. Only Caleb and Joshua will see it. None of the rest of them will see it. 40 days, your spying mission, 40 years, you're going to wander in the wilderness. And you get this bleak verse where God says, turn back. Turn back. The God of advance, the God of going forward, the God of the promised land, the God of redemption and freedom and deliverance says, right, you want to turn back? Turn back. Go back towards the desert and go back towards the Red Sea. That is a bleak moment in the history of Israel. Those who refuse to believe will never see it. And I'd say that probably happens in the church. There are Caleb's and there are Joshua's who will keep believing and keep going and keep going. There are others who will bring a negative report and they'll be gone before the promise is reached. They'll never see it. What's different about Caleb? Here's a different way to view the land and to view the promise. Caleb in in Numbers 14, 7 to 9 starts to plead with the people. He says, the land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. Being a Christian is good, isn't it? I think sometimes the gospel can be presented in a way that all the things that you enjoy, you're not going to be able to do anymore. Would you like to get saved? Uh, Instead of, no, no, this is a life of freedom, a life of knowing God, a life of transformation and empowerment, all of these things. 
The land we passed through and explored is good. Don't turn back. Don't stay where you are. Move forward into the land that God is calling you to. If the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into that land, the land flowing with milk and honey, and he will give it to us. Only do not rebel against the Lord and do not be afraid of the people of the land because we will devour them. Their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. What's the big difference between the report that the 10 spies brought and the report that Caleb brought? The difference is this. Caleb had God in his thinking throughout, constantly referring to what God had said, what God would do, that God was with them, that God would deliver them. That was his thinking that was different from them. You get the difference. If you look at what God has called you to do and you only look at it from your human natural mindset, you will see the obstacles, they will get bigger and you will say, no, it can't be done. You've got to have God in your thinking. This means you've got to have your life saturated in his word and his character. You've got to be a person of prayer. You've got to be a person, I would say, as well, of Christian community, that you've got people around you who can keep on bringing you back to the call of God in your life. This was one of the things that set Caleb apart. He focused on God in his report. Another thing about Caleb was that he had a different spirit. Numbers 14, 24. And this is in Hebrew, this is the word ruach, which is the Hebrew word in the Old Testament for the Holy Spirit. Also used for the wind or for the breath of God. And the Holy Spirit in the New Testament is is poured out on the church on the day of Pentecost. This lavish, lush outpouring of the Holy Spirit, baptizing the church in the Holy Spirit, drenching the people of God in the Spirit of God. And when you follow Jesus and you become born again, you become part of that and the Holy Spirit indwells you. And as you walk with God, the Holy Spirit repeatedly empowers you, transforms you, gifts you, equips you. But in the Old Testament, we only read of the Holy Spirit coming on selected people. This promise that we live in was something that they didn't live in. The Holy Spirit would come upon some of them. You would read particularly in the Judges, the book of the Judges, about how the Holy Spirit rushed upon someone like Samson and he was able to destroy the Philistines. The Old Testament is almost a bit like a like a preview of what's coming. When you read about the Spirit coming on somebody in the Old Testament, what you're seeing is a preview of what should happen in the New Testament. Now, we don't go around killing people with, with the you know, ox goads or whatever Samson used, the jawbone of a donkey. <laughs> That's not what the Spirit is going to empower us to do. But we read in the Old Testament of one guy called Caleb who had a different spirit. The church should be full of Caleb's because the Spirit has been poured out on all flesh. So it should be full of Caleb's. It should be Caleb's everywhere. Irritating people who bounce about and say, we can do this. We can do this because God has called us to. And yes, there are obstacles, but we can do this. You know, Spirit-filled and a wee bit irritating is what we need to be sometimes. That we won't just back down and play it safe and live a comfortable life, but that we will take the land that God has called us to take. The Holy Spirit on the church means the church should be full of Caleb's. Full of Caleb's. Not just one person in history, but loads of them. 
You see, once, once the Spirit has filled you and indwelled you, you never look at life the same. And you never look at the call of God the same. And you never look at the obstacles the same. Your vision is completely transformed by his presence. So Caleb focused on God. Caleb was a man with a different spirit, the Holy Spirit. And Caleb was wholehearted. Say wholehearted. 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 The word means what it says. When he did it, he did it with everything he had. One of the things I feel God just challenging me on a wee bit lately is do less things and do them wholeheartedly rather than trying to do too many things and doing them half-assed because that's the opposite of wholehearted. That word is in the dictionary. It's under the informal section (laughs) in the dictionary. Half-assed. Do you like it when people do a half-assed job for you? If you have a tradesman coming to the house and your, your summary at the end of his work is, that's half-assed. Are you pleased about getting out the wallet and writing a check or whatever? If I'm in school and I get handed in a piece of work that is incomplete or I can see has not had much effort into it, I describe it as being half-assed and I don't like it. We don't like half-assed things. Half-assed in the dictionary, I'm going to say it as many times as I can because I like it. It's the opposite of wholehearted. And the word half-assed means lacking character or effectiveness. Not effective. Ineffectual. Imagine living your entire Christian life and having the attitude of, as long as I'm saved, I'm signed up, I'm going to heaven when I die, and, and I'm okay but never having any effect. Imagine that. Imagine getting, getting to the end and reflecting on a half-assed life rather than a wholehearted life. I like people who throw themselves in and give it all. I don't like burnout. I've been close enough to it a few times to, to really genuinely not like it and not encourage or not to ask anyone to go anywhere near it. Half-assed is, you know, there's a difference between burnout and being wholehearted. A big difference. Wholehearted, doing things well, fully committed to things, fully committed. And I'm not talking about this in a legalistic manner saying, well, there's, there's a certain meeting on and everybody has to be there or otherwise you're not fully committed. I don't mean that. But fully committed to what God is calling you to do wholehearted about following what what it says there it's not just that he's wholehearted but he follows me wholeheartedly there's new testament discipleship summed up in a phrase follows me wholeheartedly because he's a different spirit caleb is ahead of his time he's probably 1500 2000 years ahead of his time filled with the spirit and following wholeheartedly If we're going to do something, do it well. Do it well. Do it with all you've got. Half-assed people will watch somebody else do it, or worse, they will get in the way and prevent somebody else from doing it. Someone gets the the buzz and gets the the sense of God calling them, and the half-assed person shows up and clips the wings. Gets out the wing clippers. Half-assed people always have wing clippers in their pocket. Just slow down, slow down, slow down. You're running too fast. Just take it easy. If you can continue living your life without God's power, 
If you can continue doing what you're doing in God's service without his power, without his spirit, then I would say you're living a half-assed life. If you can do it in your own strength, it's not wholehearted. If it's wholehearted, you will need God. And half-assed people don't take the land. They lead others back towards captivity. So Joshua, say half-assed. You didn't get a chance to say it. There we go. Not Joshua. Caleb focuses on God. He has a different spirit and he's wholehearted. And the last thing about, about Caleb is he doesn't quit. And, and we're, we're nearly done. We read on in Joshua 14. We know that 40 years passed. The 10 spies who brought a bad report died quickly. And the descendants who or the the people who followed them and supported them died in the wilderness as well. A new generation was born and raised up and they went into the promised land led by Joshua. Joshua and Caleb were the only two who actually came out of Egypt on one end of the journey and made it into the promised land on the other end. And Caleb doesn't quit. This is now... 45 years later and Caleb is 85 years old and the land is being divided up in Joshua 14 you get to these portions of the book of Joshua where you've got divisions of land and it's quite hard to read but in Joshua 14 we've got Caleb makes an appearance what would you ask for if you were 85 and you'd seen what Caleb had seen and you know you're getting on a bit like let's be honest uh, you've, you, what would you have, a cottage by the stream somewhere, maybe? Uh, a fishing rod, a wood burner, just a quiet life for, for a year or two. Caleb says to Joshua, Now then, just as the Lord promised, he has kept me alive for 45 years since the time he said this to Moses while Israel moved about in the wilderness. <coughs> so here I am today, 85 years old. I am still as strong today as the day Moses sent me out. I'm just as vigorous to go out to battle now as I was then. He's had to hold on to this for 45 years. (laughs) 45 years he's had to hold on to the fact that there was one time that God said, I'm going to give you this land. And he's had to hold on to that. He probably was hated for quite a period of time by the other people that were in the wilderness with him. But he says, at 85 years old, I'm as strong as I ever was. Give me this mountain. Love that. Now, there was a mountain. Back then, there was a mountain. Let's go way, way, way back. Where was our mountain? Um, Yeah, Hebron. That was one of the mountains that looked at where the giants lived, the descendants of Anak lived. This is 45 years ago. He'd seen this mountain, Hebron, and he wanted to go back. And he says in Joshua 14, give me this mountain that the Lord promised me. I think maybe some of us have a mountain that we need to lay claim on. The Lord promised that to me and the years have caused it to fade a little bit. And we need to get our fight back in us. And the mountain might be, I don't know, the things I've mentioned earlier. It might be a ministry. It might be a business. It might be a a thing that in the eyes of the world is small, but it will really affect somebody. (laughs) 
or it might be huge, but it's faded. Time, the wilderness, whatever. Give me that mountain that the Lord promised me. You yourself heard that that the Anakites were there and their cities were large and fortified, but the Lord helping me, I will drive them out. 85 years old. I will drive them out just as he said. Joshua blessed Caleb, son of Jephunneh, and gave him Hebron as his inheritance. So Hebron belonged to Caleb. He got the mountain ever since because he followed the Lord, the God of Israel, wholeheartedly. Do you know what? I think, I'm not entirely sure, but I think every time the Bible mentions Caleb, you will find the word wholehearted a verse or two on either side of it somewhere. This is what the guy was known for. He was fully, fully committed to what God had called him to. And I love the wee footnote. Hebron used to be called Kiriath Arba after Arba, who was the greatest man among the Anakites, the biggest giant. But now it belongs to Caleb. (laughs) Doesn't belong to Arba anymore. Arba's gone because Caleb drove him out. Because Caleb focused on God, Caleb had a different spirit, Caleb was wholehearted, and Caleb never quit, even as the years went on. So I would have to ask, is there a Caleb in the house? I think there are Caleb's in the house. I hope there are Caleb's in the house, because if the Holy Spirit has been poured out in all flesh, there should be Caleb's in the house. And you just need to stand up again and get in the face of the wing clippers. Say, no. No. We can do the thing that God has called us to. You maybe need to ask, as we, as we worship this morning, you maybe need to ask the Holy Spirit to, to, to get rid of the, the lens of fear and the lens of looking at things just with the natural eye and get him to put back on the lens of looking at things with God the way Caleb did. So that some of those obstacles that right now look so big that the thing you wanted to do can't be done that some of those obstacles will actually diminish back to their normal size. Yeah. Is there a Caleb? God has set before us, I believe, a town. I do believe it. I still believe it. I won't stop and I'll keep going on about it. And I think we've come through many storms and trials and we're still here. Wholehearted, faithful, but there are giants in the land. In this town there are giants. There are giants of religion. There are giants of darkness and secret societies. There are giants of abuse, and there are giants of addiction, and there are giants of hopelessness all over the place. And we've come so far, so far. We've done the donkey work, the 90%. Let's once again rise up with that Caleb spirit to take the land and to move forwards, to take the mountain, the hill that God showed us. Yes? Let's worship.